There's no doubt that small businesses are the foundation of our communities. That's why MasterCard has invested in tools to support small business owners as they grow their business. With MasterCard tools and resources, you can increase sales by shortening checkout time, broadening your customer base, and tapping into new opportunities to increase customer loyalty. So get started. Discover all the ways MasterCard can help guide, grow, and protect your business at mastercard.ca forward slash small business. Welcome to the Startup Canada podcast, a weekly show serving Canada's entrepreneurship community. I'm your host, Rick Spence, business journalist, editor, public speaker, and entrepreneur. After 15 years as the national entrepreneurship columnist at the National Post, and as the former editor and publisher of Profit, the magazine for Canadian entrepreneurs, I've learned what makes Canadian startups special, scalable, and successful. On this show, we connect you with Canada's most innovative and entrepreneurial leaders and changemakers. You'll meet the people driving the entrepreneurial movement and we'll share their first-person adventures and their tips, hacks, and best advice for running startup and growth companies. The Startup Canada podcast is a production of Startup Canada, the national rallying community for Canada's 3.5 million entrepreneurs. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere else you listen to your podcasts. To entrepreneurs everywhere, this is your show. Entrepreneurs from coast to coast to coast, welcome to the Startup Canada podcast. On the show today, we're thrilled to have Mallory Green. Mallory is the co-founder and CEO of Irene. That's spelled E-I-R-E-N-E. An innovative funeral services startup based in Toronto, Irene allows families to make high-quality, affordable cremation arrangements from the comfort of their own home. There's no shopping around, upselling, or in-person consultations required. Previously, Mallory worked at Financial Services Unicorn Simple as part of their founding team. She worked on everything from marketing to HR to communications. Mallory learned what it takes to build a company from the ground up, to rally others around a mission, and to grow a sustainable business. Welcome to the show, Mallory Green. Thank you so much for having me, Rick. We're delighted to have you here. The way it works here is that the very first question is always uh, designed to make sure that entrepreneurs realize we're here to support them in their journey. So I'm wondering what are the top pieces of advice that you hope entrepreneurs will take away from this conversation today? Yeah, so I think I have two main ones just based on my short time as an entrepreneur to date. Um, For one, I really think that entrepreneurs should do work that they care about. And that is not to be confused with this idea of following your passion. I I don't necessarily believe that you have to follow your passion in order to build a successful business. But instead, I think that it's really important that you care deeply about the problem you're looking to solve. And I say this because as an entrepreneur, it is extremely hard. There are highs and lows, and it's really just like a never-ending roller coaster. And so caring kind of helps you drive through those hard times. And and for me, I care really about helping families through their end-of-life experiences. And that's why I believe I'm the right person to build Irene. So really, you have to deeply care about what you're working on. Um, And then the second thing I think is just that you have to take action. You have to make your decisions with conviction. There's no one to guide you or tell you what to do as an entrepreneur. And so staying really focused will keep you on track as you build. And 
there's going to be a lot of really great ideas and you'll be getting a lot of opinions from people, but your success is really going to be based on your ability to do the work. So really staying disciplined, being thoughtful about the opportunities you take, and then you can really build something great. So those are my two biggest takeaways as an entrepreneur to date. And that could be different in a year from now, but today that's what it is. Right. Oh, it changes all the time. Yeah. The, 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 the whole, the whole thing changes. Um, Give me, can you give me an example of a recent distraction that you were sort of willing to follow and then realized, no, 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 no. Got to stay focused. Got to stay, stay disciplined. Yeah. You know, what's interesting. I think that in the end of life space, there are just so many opportunities. I mean, you can talk about end of life care, death care. You can talk about grieving or memorialization. And I continuously get requests from people. You should build this and you should build that. And I mean, they're all amazing ideas. And I think that the reality is it's that there's just a lot of opportunity to build really cool products because it is an, a newer space. But uh, my true North Star is the cremation arrangement process and, and making that a better process for families. And maybe a few years from now, we build tools to complement that. But as of today, I have one priority. And um, I still think we need to get we need to be perfect at it. And then we can think about building other tools. Right, right. Okay, so IRENE stands for High Quality Affordable Cremation Services. You work throughout Southern Ontario, mm -hmm. I think. Can you tell me a little bit more about the uh, the company founded about uh, two years, just under two years ago? How big is it now? How many people are involved? What have you learned Tell, tell us where you're at. Yeah, for sure. So um, even though we actually started building Irene probably, yeah, about two or three years ago, um, we launched in 2020 um, and we initially launched in the greater Toronto area and we've grown to all of Ontario. So we serve all of Ontario now um, and starting to explore new provinces, which is really an exciting time. Um, we're still a relatively lean team. I think that I have been... Um, I think I've been very different in my approach on how I'm building the team. We do rely on a lot of contractors, but our team is about eight people as of right now. Um, we are looking to hire a few more people to help us continue to grow the business. Um, but yeah, we're we're doing really well. I mean, it's been it's been a really interesting journey. I think when we put Irene together and we had these theories in mind of what families were looking for that has translated exactly to what it what it should have been. I mean, it's exactly what families are looking for during that time of grieving. And um, it's kind of gone off without a hitch. All of our experiences have been extremely positive. And so we're really proud of what we've built today and um, starting to think about what's next for the business, which includes expansion for sure. Wow, this has gone off without a hitch. I think that's so the far. first time I've ever heard an entrepreneur say that. Yeah, so, you know, congratulations I had, to you. Thank you. You know what? I had a lot of time to. It's not. We had an MVP and we were ready to go, and then a very long regulatory process, uh, about ten months, ended up, I think, derailing that a little bit. So we did have a lot of time to test, test, and test maybe a bit more time than I would have liked. But um, yeah, so far, so good, knock on wood, that it's it's been a really great experience to date. Right. So in Ontario, and I don't, I'm not sure about the rest of the country, uh, funeral services are regu highly regulated by a funeral service body or something. Exactly. Yeah. And, and there's like only a couple schools that teach how to do this. So it's, so it, so, so it's, it's a very difficult profession to enter. So did did you have to face all of the these regulatory hurdles? 
We did. And I think that the reality of the regulatory environment across Canada, one, it's very different in each province that you go to. In Ontario, uh, it is very heavily regulated. Um, and I think that the reality was that our business model didn't really fit into current legislation. I would say that le the legislation is extremely old in the funeral industry, so it needs to be updated. But um, there are a lot of gray areas. So I always like to give the example of the legislation states that you need immediate access to vehicles um, in order to transport the deceased. Um, we rely on contracted transfer services to do that. To me, that's immediate access. To the regulatory body, that was not immediate access. So, I mean, there were a lot of conversations that we had to have about what does the legislation mean? It was really up for interpretation. Um, and so that was a long journey. And I think just really helping them feel confident and uh, trusting of what we were doing and that we were in it for the right reasons, that was a big point of it. So we ended up getting the government of Ontario involved just to support us. I think that the funeral industry is much due for some change. And so having them to help us, and this was something that would be really great for consumers, it ended up it ended up crossing the finish line, but it definitely took a lot longer than expected. Right. So tell us what was the opportunity that you saw, as you've mentioned, and I totally agree, the funeral arrangement uh, business is rooted in the past and 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 based on a lot of assumptions and uh, and traditions that have been called into question in recent years. So what's the opportunity that you saw? Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, I like to draw a little bit of a picture of the the funeral process to to dive into that. So, if you look at the funeral process as a whole, it's it's pretty burdensome today on grieving families. It's definitely very antiquated. It's old school. It's very paperwork heavy. There's a lot of pieces. I mean, even if you walk into a funeral home, it's very somber. It's very Victorian. I mean, everything is like stuck in the 1900s. That's but that's exactly right. Very yeah. somber and very Victorian. Yes. I'm sorry to Queen Victoria for using her name in such a context, but yes, I totally. <laughs> agree. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? It, it's interesting because, I mean, families are already grieving. They're already sad. I, I'm not sure why we have to make them feel more horrible, but uh, it's, I mean, just, it's just very cookie cutter. The whole industry is very cookie cutter. And so when your loved one passes away, the first thing you have to think about is, who do I call? I have to arrange a whole funeral. And most often, most people have not done that. And they have no experience doing it. They have no education in the space. And they probably haven't had any discussions on what their loved one wanted. So they'll likely call around to a few places. They'll eventually have to walk into a funeral home, the Victorian funeral home, and make those arrangements face to face. And like I said, there will be a lot of paperwork you will likely have to negotiate on your pricing. There's a lot of really interesting sales techniques. So for example, more expensive caskets will be lit in a different way in the casket room. Uh, or there's, I mean, like there's language that that's used. So for example, your mother deserved, I don't know, these gold handles or whatever I, I, that I, means. I, I've, right? I've heard that myself and I've yeah. been, you know, sick at heart about some of the uh, uh, yeah. sales processes yeah. I've seen in that business. Yeah. So, and and I think the biggest thing is that you will find that the price just keeps going up. Like the the price that you are initially quoted will likely not be what you end up paying. And so, to me, it's a fairly steep ask of a very vulnerable grieving family. And if you know anyone who has arranged a funeral, they will likely say that it was not a great experience. Um. So if you look at the trends over the next ten to twenty years, there's just so many changes happening. Like people are searching for 
more unique memorialization tools. They're looking to spend, they're not looking to spend $20,000 on a funeral anymore. Maybe they're spending their money differently, but it's definitely not on the disposition itself. So that's why they're maybe going more to cremation. The cremation rate in, in Canada is over 70%, and that's supposed to be over 80% across all of North America in the next 10 years. So there's so many trends that are happening. And I just find that there's a complete disconnect of what the funeral industry is providing versus what consumers are actually looking for. And I mean, that's what we've kind of tried to do at Irene is really bridge that gap is like take all of the things that they're doing really well and then also look at the pain points and build a product around that. And so, so obviously the focus is on cremation, but you do do, I mean, it's not just the physical act of cremation. It's you do the services around grieving and around funerals for those who want it. So we don't do any services. And I think that was a big part of what my research was, is that most families today actually are not relying on the funeral home to do any type of service or memorial. What they're often doing is they are going, I don't know, to their loved one's favorite park or they're going, they're making something at a, a museum or whatever it is. There's just like, there's a, a disconnect happening from the funeral industry. So they're still relying on them for the disposition. But we don't do the services, and that's what most Canadians actually look for today. They want something simple, and then maybe a few weeks from then or maybe a few months, they will fly in their family, and they'll, they'll on their own terms, decide how to memorialize that person. And we can help give them the tools to do that. So if they want to have an online memorial we can definitely connect them to a provider that does that. Um, or if they want to spread the remains and need a permit for that, we can help them do those things. But really, it's just what is that piece of the puzzle that needs to happen immediately? And how can we help, sorry, how can we help families through that? Um, and so that's kind of why Irene exists. We also offer, so we offer a cremation and we do offer aquamation. I've got to stop you there and ask you about aquamation. Um, is this a new way of spreading ashes on water? What, what, what is this all about? No. So aquamation is actually um, an alternative disposition method. So I always like to say it's similar to cremation, um, but instead of flames, it's with water. So essentially what would happen is, uh, I mean, without going too much into the details, because I don't think people often like hearing them, but um, it's a, a vessel and it's filled with water. It's 95% water and 5% I'm going to butcher what it is, but I think it's like an alkaline solution, essentially. So what it is, is you are essentially decomposing as if you would in just a natural way, but it's at an expedited pace. It's just a kind of an alternative and it's, uh, I would say, a more sustainable option for those who maybe care more about the environment uh, and maybe their carbon footprint. It does use water, but it doesn't use a lot of water and... Um, uses a lot less energy and it's, yeah, it's just overall, a, a, just a, essentially a different dis disposition method. And there's only about three providers in Ontario that would allow it. In a lot of provinces, it's not yet legalized, um, but it is across North America um, in various places. So it's pretty interesting. It's a, it's a newer concept. It's actually been used for many, many decades by the science community, but I think only first legalized in the funeral industry, I want to say in like the two like 2010-ish area. So it sounds like besides taking a lot of the costs out of the process, and, and uh, yeah. you're, you're also bringing some innovation. In yes. 
hundred percent. I think it's just, I mean, my main goal really is to help people understand what their options are because I just don't think people know them. Right. So, I mean, we think of the funeral, we think of a traditional burial or we think of a traditional cremation. I mean, we have aquamation that is now legal here. You can do a green burial in the U S we're starting to see some really interesting dispositions. So for example, there's, um, I think the easiest way to call it is human composting. Um, And there's some providers doing that, which is really, really innovative and an interesting alternative. And so really our, our goal is to provide people with their options and, and make those decisions for themselves. So aquamation and cremation are kind of just the two that exist outside of burial, but um, would love to see more come into Canada for sure. Absolutely. Let's leave the subject of cremation aside for a moment and just uh, talk about Mallory a little bit more. Um, you, you've been an entrepreneur. You you were you were at Wealth Simple, uh, yeah. which is probably you know the role a role model for um, industry for, for for industry disruption and success and, and successful growth and scaling uh, out of out of Toronto in the financial services business. So tell us a little bit about your journey. And 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 what what took you through Wealth Simple? What you learned there, and how that led to Irene? Yeah, for sure. So I was one of the earlier team members at Wealth Simple. I, I want to say it was number five or number six, um, and and stayed there for five years, which I think is a quite a long time in the startup world. And. I mean, I had an incredible experience. I got to work directly with the leadership team. Some of them are investors in my business today, and just essentially learned how to scale a business from the ground up. And throughout that, my journey there, people often were asking me, when are you going to leave Wealth Simple and start my own business? And I vividly remember being at an event with Nikki, who is Michael Katchen's wife, and she was just like out of the blue, when are you going to leave Wealth Simple and start start your own business? And I was just like, wait, what? Like, I'm, I think I feel like I just started at Well Simple. I still felt like I had a lot to learn. But I mean, really, in those conversations, I really started to reflect on what I thought I was capable of, but also what others thought I was capable of. And then I, I began, began to seriously consider this idea that I would be an entrepreneur. And I didn't really know how or when. And like I said, I think I, I still had a lot to learn, which is why I stayed five years. But I needed to gain the tools to get to that point. And Luckily, I was able to do that at Wealthsimple. I, I mean, I held various roles there. We often joke that I had every job at the company at one point. Um, in fact, I still get some calls because my name is still on some accounts um, from the, my Wealthsimple years. So it ended up being kind of a matter of finding out what industry made sense to me and essentially looking for what I had a connection to and a deep understanding of. And it turns out it was in front of me the entire time because I am the daughter of a funeral director. And that's something that I often was very embarrassed about growing up because when you tell people that they either make a comment, they make some type of movie joke or like make, I mean, they just make jokes or they're just extremely uncomfortable because they've never met a funeral director for some reason. Um, And so for, but for me, death has been a large part of my upbringing. And it's something that I've talked about a lot and something that I'm relatively comfortable with. I don't think I'll ever be fully comfortable with my own mortality, but I would say that I am very cognizant of it. And so I remember I had kind of two moments in my time at Well Simple where I started to look at the funeral industry. One was at my grandfather's funeral. I remember just thinking, like, this is not what my funeral will look like. His funeral was a beautiful reflection of his life and what he cared about. But for me, 
I just knew it would be very different. So I started to think kind of what does that look like? And then the other was just a regular dinner conversation with my family, including my my father, who is a funeral director. And we were just kind of talking about the funeral industry and where it's heading. And I those moments really prompted me to start looking at the funeral industry. What are the trends? What are the biggest pain points? What's happening over the next 10 to 20 years? And what could I potentially build? And so took me a few years to narrow in on what Irene was going to be. But, and I think we're still iterating on exactly what it is because we listen to what our customers are looking for. But so far it's been, it's been proven kind of what we had based on research and theories. It's really been proven to be correct on what consumers were looking for. So that's kind of the journey to Irene, but it was definitely a lot of conversations and uh, a lot of years of, of dreaming it up. Did your parents want you to go into the funeral business? Um, that's a good question. I think I know a lot that, of them are, fa- are family businesses and they take a yes. pride and responsibility. You probably had the black suit and helped out at various <laughs> events. I did not. I did no? not do that. Uh, no. I mean, I'm sure like take your kid to work day. I was probably at a funeral home, but, um, yeah, no, I think that they were just excited for me to launch my own business and probably would have been supportive no matter the industry. I think that obviously my dad knows how hard the industry is to break into. Uh, it's very competitive. Sometimes it's a bit cutthroat. So I'm sure there was a bit of worry in that sense, but uh, we've made it this far. So yeah, I think they're just supportive of me, honestly, no matter what I did. Like even if I tie my shoes, I'm sure they're supportive of it. So <laughs> That's great. <laughs> I, I'm stuck on the uh, on wealth wealth simple in this culture of when are you going to leave? So I'm imagining a uh, a, a performance review. Say say your second year performance review at Wealth Simple. Well, we're very concerned, Mallory. You're still at the company. <laughs> uh, what are your plans no, to leave? And then there's not- and then there's the question. Uh, you've only had three different jobs here in two years, Mallory. <laughs> we're very disappointed. <laughs> You know, it's funny, and Mike might actually kill me for telling this story, so hopefully he doesn't listen. But uh, when I finally resigned at Simple after five years, he was like, you are not leaving. And I was like, I am leaving. I'm starting my own business. And he was like, that is not happening. Like, basically, I cannot lose you. And you know what? I think it's just because I had been at the company for so long and just had a really good – I would say insight into kind of the culture and what people were feeling. And I don't want to call myself like his right hand woman, but I mean, we definitely just had built a really great relationship where we were building a great place to work. So it was, it was very bittersweet, but um, I know he also knew that that was ultimately my goal and he was supportive of that. He's an investor in my business. I mean, he's been an incredible to date, but yeah, it was definitely a very hard conversation to have. So is, a startup a good place to develop your entrepreneurial skills? Oh, 100%. I mean, for me, especially at Simple, when I first started, and keep in mind, this was my first job straight out of university, I showed up on the first day and I was just expected to figure it out. And I'm not saying that this is correct because there was absolutely no onboarding. I didn't really have a ton of guidance. uh, It's a startup, for God's sake. (laughs) I know, I know. But you know what? It just straight out of university, I just was not expecting it. I remember like the first week, I think I left crying every day because I was just like, what the heck is going on in this place? But basically it was, we need to grow this business. You need to figure it out without spending a ton of money. And so I hate the word hustle, but it was... honestly, just a constant hustle. You basically would try something, see if it sticks and iterate. And there weren't managers. There was not really people to tell me what to do. We are all individual contributors. 
And really, I was expected that I was disciplined enough to fill my plate each day, motivated enough to seek new opportunities, and that I would just be able to figure things out on my own. And I mean, if you talk about transferable skills, like that's that. That's what I have to do today with Irene. There's no one to tell me what to work on or what to focus on. Um, I have to just figure it out on a on a daily basis. And so it prepped me for kind of learning how to overcome roadblocks. I also at Well Simple, we very much had a culture of you couldn't take no as an answer. We always had to approach things with a solution in mind. It was never, we were never allowed to say, here are the reasons it won't work. It's like, okay, what is the one way that it will work? And I think that that helps even equip me with our regulatory process, right? And so there's so many challenges that you face in a startup, especially one that like Well Simple that just grew so rapidly. And we just yeah, we had to. Yeah, it was it's, it was such an interesting journey. But I mean, that has just directly translated to to my role at Irene and my role as an entrepreneur for sure. Right. So it sounds like it was uh, well simple was like the perfect place to to learn these entrepreneurial attitudes and skills to learn yep. how to be resilient, how to bounce back, how to make it up as you go along and make it look like you knew what you were doing. the whole 100%. Way. It was very much fake it to your make it like I remember someone I think it was Carney who was the CTO at well simple. He had said to me like you always know the answer to everything. And I just said like I just Google it. If you tell me to to learn how to do something or figure it out. I mean, there's so many resources available now, um, but I, I learned that skill is just to everything is this is a I don't it doesn't really make sense, but everything is figure outable, and so that's what I that's what I did at Well Simple, and it's been extremely helpful um, during my time at Irene for sure. Would it have been possible for you to start uh, a, a business like Irene without having had that background? Say, if you'd gone in and worked at a bank for a few years. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, so I would say that the bank and the funeral industry probably would move at the similar paces. So I'd be used to I would be used to how slow everything is. But um I think ultimately I just I just learned like I grew really thick skin at Well Simple. I mean, I learned how to say no to a lot of things. I learned how to prioritize. And so maybe I could have got to that point over time. I think well simple just expedited that like I learned so much in five years that I was just on the fast track to becoming an entrepreneur. That's how I feel. But I'm sure maybe I could have. I don't know, to be honest. Right. So you mentioned that uh, starting up Irene has gone without a hitch, but I imagine that if I really <laughs> pressed you, I could find a couple hitches, including the yeah. fact that the Ontario government put put as many roadblocks <laughs> yeah. in front of you as, as as they could. Can you can you talk about a challenge that you had that you were able to overcome? Yeah, I mean, for sure. I think from the customer perspective, it has been very, fairly smooth. I think from the perspective of regulation, as well as just it's generally a very operationally heavy industry. So we rely on a lot of people and a lot of moving pieces to operate on a day to day basis. So there's always challenges with that. But I think that for me, when I think of the biggest challenges, it kind of comes down to two things. One is just the reputa the reputation of the funeral industry and how much people kind of, I mean, they don't want to hear from you. They don't want to talk to you. And there's a lot of mistrust in the industry. And then obviously the concept of marketing a topic that absolutely nobody wants to talk about. And so for me, we have the, I look at it from the perspective that we have the responsibility of not only changing people's perception of the funeral industry, but also rebuilding trust with them. It's an industry that 
most people, when I tell them I'm in the funeral industry, they say, I hope I never have to use your services. And my response. <laughs> Are we <laughs> all in it, denial? Oh, 100%. There's so much death denial in our society. I mean, that in, in my business plan, I wrote our biggest competitor is death denial. That is the biggest competitor we have. Yeah. And I think my answer always is, well, when you do, because you will, unfortunately, I hate to break that to you, I will be here to support you whether you use our services or not. So, I mean, the first step is always obviously to acknowledge that we will all experience death in our life. And um, that's the biggest takeaway from everyone today. That should be it. Um, And then I think just like I said, it comes down to, for us, this this concept of brand transparency and, and communication. So, for example, when we chose our brand colors and illustrations to help uh, change people's perspectives, perspective of the funeral industry, we wanted it to be totally different. We kind of talked about this. We wanted to feel a sense of calm, totally different colors. Uh, the way we communicate with people is very different. It's very clear. I don't say he passed away. I will say he died. There's a lot of very... Um, specific techniques that we use in order to help move people towards a time where we can all talk about death. Um, And so I think the challenges are really, especially during a pandemic, when we are just surrounded with death, death is in the news every day. It has been quite challenging to to help people have those conversations with their loved ones. You'd think that they'd be more likely to. We actually did a survey across Canada that if the pandemic has sparked you to have those conversations, most people said no. I think it's just way too top of mind right now. My hope is that post-pandemic, whatever that looks like or whenever that is, we can start having really honest conversations about it. And I mean, the reality is, is when you talk about death, it does not mean you're going to die. That's not how it works. In fact, if you look at anyone who has been diagnosed with a life limiting illness, what happens? They start to live their life. They prioritize the right things. They spend time with people they love. They learn how to live. And so that is my main message. It's just that these conversations are so crucial and only positive things can actually really come of it. But that will always be a challenge as a business who's starting to, who's attempting to start those conversations for sure. That's a really interesting concept that only when we acknowledge death do we yep. really make sure that we live our best lives because we yeah. recognize that that uh, that the time is limited. Uh, that that really resonates with me for some reason. Um, Good. So I'm that, running that, with that, this that marketing idea then. Yeah, yeah. no, <laughs> I, 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 I think that's really interesting. We all know there are these things called pre-plan your funeral services. And I don't know what that means and how much money I have to put mm-hmm. down. Um, do you do that as well? We do. So we do offer pre-arrangements. And essentially how it works is you would put your funeral wishes in writing um, and you would prepay. And so you could some families pay up front, some pay in installments, and you have two choices. One is through an insurance policy. But unlike a traditional um, life insurance policy, it's actually tied to Irene. So when you do die, the money is essentially automatically paid to Irene. So your family doesn't have to worry about it. All of your funeral wishes are in writing you've paid for it, everything's done, we pick up the deceased and we go through the process. The other is through a trust. Ultimately, they're relatively the same. It's it's just kind of a personal preference of what people choose. Some people just don't like insurance policies. But uh, we do offer the ability to prearrange. And we're starting to really focus on beyond just prepaying for your Irene package, how can we help people have conversations about what they want? So do they want to die at home surrounded by their loved ones? 
Um, or how do they want to be memorialized? Do they want a service at one point? I mean, these are all conversations. Do you want to be an organ donor? We want to help kind of empower people to have those conversations beyond just actually prepaying and pre-planning your Irene service. Um, but we do offer the ability to do that. And, And we're seeing a lot of people are, doing it mostly because they feel that it reduces burden for their family, whether it's financial or just the emotional burden of planning a funeral. A lot of people are choosing to pre-plan with us because of that. So to steal a phrase from social media, tell me about the traction you've gained without saying that you have traction. (laughs) Oh my gosh, this is a hard question. Um, So I think that for me, the point that I felt that we were gaining traction and doing well as a business is when we started to get referrals. Um, And in a funeral business, I think a lot of the time they rely on referrals to come in um, because they don't really rely on any other marketing channels. But for me, I felt that when we started getting referrals in the past few months from families who had used our services and who had taken that step to say, hey, I used Irene and maybe you could consider it too. I felt like we were doing something right. Um, So I think that's one side of it. Referrals is a huge sign of traction. We're starting to, we're starting to get people who really love our services and are just organically spreading the word about it. And then on the other side of that, I would say we're starting to get people who have seen us at various touch points. So we're trying to various amount of marketing. So we're in newspapers, we're doing radio, podcasts, I mean, everything under the sun to get our brand in front of people. And we are starting to have people who come in and they say, I initially Googled you, I saw you in the star, and then what made me convert is a Facebook ad. Um, And so for me, that's, I mean, that's incredible. A lot of the times, because families who are using our services end up just going back to Google and clicking our ad and then converting, it's hard to track where a lot of our families are coming from, which we're getting better at. But um, now that we're starting to get the feedback that people are seeing us in various ways and that means the marketing is working, which I'm very, I'm very thrilled about. So just kind of continue on with that and, and hope that that brings it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I noticed on your website that you've got a very busy blog. You've written a lot of articles slash essays about death and dying, about the funeral business, about technologies, about processes and everything. Tell me how content helps you, helps you grow. Yeah. So um, I think we, we use that, the concept of making uncommon knowledge common. So if you look at the funeral industry as a whole, basically, I mean, they have, profited off the fact that nobody has any insight into what happens behind the scenes. So for example, embalming in Canada is not a legal requirement, but most families often choose to do it because they're relying on the funeral home to tell them. And that's usually about $500 to embalm someone. But let's talk about it. Do you actually need to embalm your loved one? Absolutely not. Not a legal requirement. In most cases, refrigeration is sufficient, even if you want to have a service. And I will probably have someone after this, who listens to it, call me and angry that I said this. But um, I think a big part of our content is just this idea that we want to be transparent. We really want to kind of lift the curtain on what's happening behind the scenes and, and helping educate consumers, like I said, on what their choices are. So what happens to 
the fancy brass handles after a cremation, it's sold as scrap metal. There's a lot of conversations that we're having on our our blog that I think are just kind of shedding a lot of light on the industry, but also normalizing a lot of conversations. I like to give the example of palliative care. Often when you have someone present palliative care to you, you think that that means that it's the end for you. But palliative care is actually about prolonging life and giving you a really high quality life. So we talk about palliative care Um, or grief. Normalizing conversations are on grief. Grief is not mental illness. It's not something that you get over in a few months. It's a lifelong journey and it will change over time. So I look at our blog as a way to educate our consumers, whether they use our services or not, those resources are available. And then obviously from an SEO perspective, we are very quickly (laughs) ranking up Google. There's not much competition in the space, but um, it's going to be a really great tool for customer acquisition over the long run. So yeah, I think it's, I like that concept of making uncommon knowledge common and and building trust by doing that. It's great to know that not only do you have this um, initiative, but you've actually labeled it. You've, you've, you've labeled it with a catchy name that also, you know, uh, has a purpose built into it. Yep. So, yes, so exactly. I love that. And I think more companies need to figure out how do they bring mission and strategy together? And, and that's one of the, one, one of several ways that I, that I think I've heard you say that you're doing this. So, so what's the future look like? You mentioned that you're, you want to take the company national. Does that mean butting heads with nine more <laughs> uh, provincial regulators? Oh, I hope not. Um, so yes, so we do want to bring Irene across Canada, maybe even into the US, we shall see. But lots of opportunity to grow. And it's interesting, I had someone reach out to me, a funeral director I know in, the, in BC reached out to me recently. And she said, she had a family call and say they want Irene services. And I mean, you can get cremation services across Canada. But it's interesting how our brand is kind of it's shifting how people approach it. And also just, it feels different to every, the everyday consumer. So we have been getting requests to bring our services kind of across Canada, which is maybe another great sign of traction. Um, And so we're starting that process. I think that we, through our 10 month regulatory process here, we learned a lot about building relationships with the regulating body and, and building trust, but also just what exactly they're looking for and the information we provide. We also have investors on board who have a lot of government relationships as well as, um, I guess, just experience navigating regulatory hurdles. So my hope is that all of those things together can help us um, start going into new markets. And then From there, it's really just thinking about operations and marketing. What's interesting about the industry is that in every single province, it is vastly different. So in BC, you'll find that a lot of providers are charging very little for cremations and cremation is the highest in BC. In Nova Scotia, you'll find that providers are very traditional with their approach, even their websites, and the burial rate is really high. And so our messaging and marketing will likely be a bit different in each province. And then I think I can't I can't be like a ex wealth simpler without saying that I would love to go outside of Canada, the U.S. is a huge market, um, and I think that there's a lot of really interesting opportunities there. I think a few people have tried, maybe some unsuccessfully, uh, but I think that there's there's a lot of opportunity there. And so one of us is one of us is gonna do the right thing. We're gonna find the right recipe for what families are specifically looking for. I mean, I'm betting on Irene, but uh, yeah, I, I'm excited to kind of see where we can take it for sure. Fantastic. 
Irene is spelled E-I-R-E-N-E, and you, you, you and I, I understand that that means a state of peace. Exactly. Yes. And is that the brand that you're bringing peace of mind to end of life? Exactly. That's exactly what we want to do. We want to provide peace of mind to families who are pre-planning, that they've put their wishes in writing, peace of mind at the time of death, um, and then just peace of mind as they continue on with that journey after care. So um, it's just essentially how we wanted families to feel during a very difficult time. And so far, I think we've done that. So that's a good signal. All right. Well, Mallory Green, thank you so much. It's been a great interview. You're a very articulate spokesman for spokesperson for your cause and for the industry. And I love to see the way you're leading change, uh, you know, in a positive way in that industry. You're not trying to fight with anyone, I think, other than the government, maybe. Um, <laughs> but but bringing innovation and peace of mind to the space, I think that's a very important work. Uh, and again, reminder to listeners that it's E-I-R-E-N-E dot C-A if you want to go and read any of those blog posts or learn what acclamation is. Because uh, it sounds like my preferred end of life yes. solution. Um, yeah, yes. uh, the, the fire in the furnace. You know, the, that's <laughs> never appealed to me. But uh, I, I like where technology is taking us. Mallory yep. Green, last question: What's the most actionable piece of advice that entrepreneurs can take from this conversation and implement in their businesses immediately? I would say to stay extremely focused. Once again, you are going to have a lot of opportunities thrown your way. You don't spread yourself thin, stay focused. Um, there's gonna be so many exciting opportunities and you eventually can maybe get to those. But when you first get started, you will, you will need to stay focused. Find what your one true North Star is, pick it and be the best at it. Lots of opportunities, find your North Star, love it. Thank you so much, Mallory Green of Irene. Uh, we wish you luck. We'll be following your progress. And we'll talk Thanks so much, Rick. Thank you for joining us this week in the Startup Canada podcast, a weekly show dedicated to unlocking the potential of every entrepreneur. Stay tuned another minute to hear the latest startup community news and the upcoming events lineup, including our hashtag Startup Chats on Twitter every Wednesday and Friday at 12 noon Eastern time. I sometimes show up there too. Until next week, I'm your Startup Canada podcast host, Rick Spence.